Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. I'm Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. My name is Matt. I need to enunciate uh, when we do our intros. Folks who are listening for the first time are thinking, who's that other guy? I sometimes don't, sometimes don't even mail know. it in, man. You know, you got to like, <laughs> put effort into everything. You, hit, you started before I was, I was quite ready. I was <laughs> taking a sip of my beer, uh, which we will get to later on in this episode. But this is our Ask How to Money episode where we're going to answer five different questions. By the way, 
some of our uh, question askers have slipped in multiple questions. And so we're not necessarily going to get to five. <laughs> in one case, there's like four distinct questions <laughs> that he's got. Uh, but I'm looking forward to getting to all of these uh, listeners. She's asking about buying a home. Fizbo, red flags to look out for, other things to keep in mind. Uh, another listener, she is asking about getting ahead on a small salary, a librarian's salary. Looking forward to tackling that one, as well as one about vegan banking. What does that even mean? <laughs> That'll be a good one as well, uh, plus a couple others. That's right. All right, well, we'll get to those in just a second. Before we get to that, Matt, I just wanted to mention, I feel like I'm seeing more stuff about budget billing right now. And our local power company just uh, sent me something in the mail with my bill. And they're like, hey, if you want to do budget billing, just call this number. We'll, we'll get you set up. Or maybe it was like, visit this website. I don't remember. Either way, I threw it in the trash. And I know a lot of people out there, especially how to money listeners, they might think, why, man? Like budget billing. That sounds like something Matt and Joel would be all about. It does seem like something we would be all about, right? Where every single bill is the same all year long and you can plan accordingly. Well, I think my aversion to budget billing is is not about that. Like, I don't mind the fact that all your bills are the same. I think it's okay in some ways. But the problem is when all your bills are the same, it's harder to pay attention to your usage and cut back because uh, I actually like getting a bill that's like a little higher <laughs> than I expected, freaking out just a bit, and then adjusting my usage, like turning the thermostat up in the summer and down in the winter, right? Just to prevent using as much energy as yeah. I have been using. Makes so sense. I think budget billing, you're, you might see a call for that, and especially as energy prices are going up, you might be more inclined to participate oh, yeah. in something like budget billing. Yeah, but for electricity or natural gas yeah. in particular. I just Dude, think for a lot of people, though, it doesn't make the most sense because you'll become less price sensitive. Exactly. And we want you to be incredibly sensitive. Not, I mean, there, there's certain levels of sensitivity, right? Like if you have, if you're on top of things, like, should you be freaking out about, you know, the price of apples going up 10 cents a pound? Probably not. If you love apples, get the dang apples. Yeah. There's a balance to strike. Uh, but, man, I was going to ask you, did y'all lock in? So, speaking of, like, budget billing, it makes me think of variable rates, rates with yeah. natural gas. I am so stinking happy. So, like, we bought our house back in April, uh, and I locked in for, like, a year, maybe even two years, because I was like, man, it seems like they're just talking about the Nord One pipeline, all of this stuff. I was like, I don't know what the future holds, but it doesn't seem like prices are necessarily going to get cheaper. But seeing where they've gone over the like over the past few months, it has just reinforced that I think it often makes more sense just to go ahead and lock in. Yeah. And if prices do drop, oftentimes other companies will have um, different promotions where they'll pay for your, your breakup fee, basically. Like there's those early termination fees. Well, not, not every seen. state has, you, not, not everyone has the ability to shop their natural gas oh, rate. That so, is true. So much of it yep. depends on what state you live in. We do here in Georgia. We do here. and I But I agree. And, and when you look but at sometimes it, it's like 150 bucks that they're willing to credit you sure. in order to go with a new company. And if you're able to, A, get that cost covered, and then B, go with a company who has a much lower rate, well, it would make a lot of sense to go ahead and make that move. Yeah, I agree. And and of course, energy is getting more expensive, uh, not as expensive as it's getting in a lot of parts of Europe, but it's still it's still something that's going to impact our budgets moving forward into this winter. And so your usage is something to, to be aware of. And you don't want to probably keep the thermostat at like 50 degrees in the middle of like December or anything like that. Not like Matt and Kate when <laughs> right after they first got married. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go that hardcore. But Putting on a sweater and keeping it a couple degrees uh, colder than you normally would is—it's—it's it, it's gonna help your budget. It's—it's gonna make that bill smaller, and that's gonna help your bottom Heck line. Yeah. Get buy that seven pack of Long Johns and just <laughs> constantly wear a layer. I mean, I think that that, that that is such an underrated thing to do. 
I don't know what it is. Like, are people too good to wear additional layers under their regular <laughs> clothes? Uh, but I am, I am all about that. We've, we've gotten used to the fancy life where we can wear shorts in our houses in in the winter. Just and it's constantly. Like, yeah. It's like, I'm just going to walk around naked. I'm like, no, maybe you should put some clothes on. A, B, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should wear some more clothes to stay warm in the winter. I think sometimes well. it helps us appreciate, right, the reality that we do have modern luxuries like yeah. heat and air conditioning in our homes. I mean, those those are still fairly recent occurrences when you're talking about zooming, zooming out and looking at the timeline of history. And maybe part of being thankful for it is not abusing it <laughs> and also saving sure. saving your uh, your some of your money for other things at the same time, not yeah. just for paying the power company. But uh, Matt, let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. This one is called Pistol Pete's 1888 Blondale. It's by Bosk Brewing. We'll give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. But let's get to listener questions. And uh, if you have a question for us, we'd love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There's simple directions for you to record a voice memo and send it our way so we can take it hopefully on the next Ask HTM episode. And this first question comes from a listener who's asking whether or not he should get a new credit card. Hey guys, it's Chase from Ohio. I'm a longtime listener and love the podcast. So I currently have two credit cards, but my limits on them are only $900 and $1,500. Therefore, having under a 10% utilization to optimize my credit score is fairly difficult. As a result, I was looking towards acquiring another credit card to raise my total credit card limit. Now, that being said, I'm also looking to possibly buy an engagement ring here in the near future, and I could use this purchase to help fulfill the sign-on bonus requirements for that new card. Now, I do have enough cash on hand to pay for the ring upfront, and therefore, I would be able to avoid the credit card transaction fees. So, what option do you think I should do? Should I pay cash for the whole ring, and as a result, I avoid the transaction fee, but I would not acquire a new credit card and I would not get the sign-on bonus? Or should I pay for the majority of the ring with cash and then use the new credit card to pay for the remaining balance? You know, ideally it would be the minimum to get the sign-on bonus. And therefore, I would be able to get a new credit card and I would also get the sign-on bonus with it, but I would have to pay the credit card transaction fee. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on what route you think um, I should take. Thanks so much. All right, Chase, thanks so much for your question. Uh, before we get to the get to the answer, first of all, congrats on hopefully very soon you will be an engaged man. And uh, what a great time to get on top of your finances, to figure out how to make the most out of all the, the different dollars that you're spending, funneling that through a credit card. Uh, and so to go ahead and answer your question, we think that getting another credit card in order to raise uh, your, your credit limit, we think that would be a smart move. And getting one now that will also give you a sweet sign-up bonus, that would be a double win. I wish that uh, back when I was when I bought a ring for Kate, I wish I was as savvy as you are because I'm pretty sure I recall signing up for the store credit card oh. uh, at the uh, at the jeweler that was there, and they were offering like a small discount. And I like in retrospect, looking back, I know I could have 100% gotten a much better deal with another sign up bonus. So like paying for the honeymoon independently with credit card points oh if you gosh. had. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably could have gone the right direction. But uh, I did not do that. So Chase, uh, props to you for just getting ahead of it, getting on top of things, man. Yeah. All right. Random thought here, Matt. I think. Chase should also, if they're not doing some marriage counseling, I think that's going to be important once they do get engaged. Sure. And a lot of times when you're going through marriage counseling, like 
the people, uh, depending on who's, who's leading it, nobody talks about money, but I feel like you guys have to get on the same page when it comes to money before you tie the knot. So even if nobody else is, is leading that conversation for you guys, Chase, it's up to you to, to start leading that conversation to make sure you guys are talking about uh, money habits, how you guys want to handle Absolutely. money together and money goals that you might have. And and having those combos before marriage, I think it just you're set, setting a solid foundation for your future. And But Matt, let's keep talking about uh, the, the credit card question that Chase has, because he, I would say he can and should reach out to the issuers of the credit cards he currently has to see if maybe they can raise his credit limit. He can do that online or over the phone. And uh, Chase, if you've been a customer for a while and you've always paid on time, they'll often raise that limit as a courtesy to you. Let's say you've been a customer for three years and you've never paid late. They might be like, sure, yeah, we'll give you a $4,000 bump in your credit limit. And you'll be like, what? Mm-hmm. That's huge. That helps me out a lot. Yeah. And all, all you had to do was ask. Yeah. I mean, literally, you don't you don't typically have to even call and talk to anybody. Like yeah. oftentimes there's links right there. It's like one of the main <laughs> menu navigation Request items. a limit increase. <laughs> and like you will find out and like... Like 10 seconds, whether yep. or, or not you, your credit limit just increased by, you know, like two or three X. Right. And sometimes. They, they might ask for a couple of updates about your financial status, right? They they typically want to know if there's been an increase in your income. So if you have that yep. in your corner, like if you're making more money now than you were when you initially signed up for that credit card, that could help justify your request, right? And the truth is that just by that one action, right, getting your credit limit boosted on those cards, it's going to be yep. a massive help to your score. It's one, it's like one of those pieces of low-hanging fruit that not a lot of people often think to do. But yeah, like you said, Matt, it could take 10 seconds and it could boost your score by a, a significant margin totally. in the coming months. Yeah, exactly. And, and just for everyone out there who's wondering why that's the case, uh, the credit bureaus, they place a big focus on your credit utilization rate. They want you to have access to a lot of debt, but then not actually use very much of it. Which is such an odd little relationship I mean, it, to have, it, it right? It kind of makes but sense. It's it just does, like, but it's like still we odd. want to see that you're capable, but that you are willing to show some restraint, yeah. basically. <laughs> we want to know that your fridge is stock full of food, but you're not going to sit down yeah. and completely gorge yourself, <laughs> <That's> right? right. <laughs> like it's a similar similar thing. Uh, ideally, you would be using less than 10% of the, the credit that you have available to you each and every month, Chase. And so if you typically charge, let's say 500 bucks a month, but your your credit limit is only $1,500, even if you pay it off on time uh, and in full every single month, it is going to hinder your credit score and uh, the upper echelon of you know 800 plus that you might be able to reach. But if you can get that limit, say, raised to $5,000, just that one little change on their end is going to be able to kind of put you back in that sweet spot and you'll see your score improve. Considering your, your current limit is at a total of $2,400, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that it would be you know, that is difficult for you to keep that credit utilization rate down in a range that we want to see it. That's right. Yeah. You, you, to be in upper echelon territory, we're talking about not charging more than $240 a month on those credit cards. And that's, that's tough to do, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you're trying to, if you want to use credit cards in a way to maximize, to maximize points and rewards while still paying them off on time and in full every month. That's like one grocery store run and <laughs> one trip to the gas station. Right, exactly. <laughs> These yeah. Days. So it, it's really, you're probably using them more than you should, at least for credit utilization purposes. So yeah, getting that increase is going to help. But the other answer maybe is is to do both, right? To get a new credit card. Oh, the hybrid approach. Right, yeah. Preferably yeah. one with a sweet sign-up bonus that, I don't know, you can snag when making that bigger purchase of a ring. And you might see a temporary decline in your score for opening up that new card. 
and then buying that ring with it. But in the future, having that uh, a line of credit, that third line of credit, is quickly going to become a good thing for your credit score. Specific cards worth looking at. Well, after our conversation last week with Brian Kelly, I don't know, maybe some of the top travel rewards credit cards, right? We've got an article up on the site uh, naming our favorite travel rewards credit cards. There's the Chase Sapphire Preferred, Capital One, Venture Rewards, and the City Premier card. Those are just a few that we named. But you know, not only are those cards excellent if you're looking to travel in the future, let's say book a honeymoon after getting married, something like that, right? (laughs) Uh, That's kind of a nice use of some of those points you might be able to accrue. But they're also fantastic cashback cards from a bonus standpoint as well. So you can get just a ton of points and you can use those for cash if you wanted, but they're even more valuable using for travel. And so, yeah, and if you're looking for just a straight up cashback card, the City Double Cash card uh, still has a sign up bonus, which they've never offered before in the history of the card, but I think you can get an extra 200 bucks right now. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely worth looking into as well but doing both uh, getting the new credit card but also attempting to get the the higher limit on the cards you currently have is a great way to go that's right yeah so these I mean in particular getting a new card that is a total no-brainer even with the annual fees simply because their sign-up bonuses are going to be so attractive. Uh, And actually, Chase, speaking of fees, you mentioned something about a transaction fee for paying with a credit card. We typically suggest that you not pay with a credit card if the fees are there and they're going to outweigh the rewards. And so, for instance, paying, like let's say it's a small mom and pop kind of shop, they're going to charge you a 3% fee, but you're only going to get 2% cash back. Well, that means, of course, you're going to have to eat a 1% transaction fee or cost. But it's likely going to be worth paying a fee if that big spend is going to help you to snag, you know, just such a rich sign-up bonus that we're uh, that we mentioned with those three or four cards specifically. Like, you know, we hate fees, but you've got to look at the big picture. Uh, and in this case, it sounds like the rewards will outweigh the fees. But also, you you'd mentioned using enough of the card in order to snag that sign-up bonus. And if the fees that they're charging you as a consumer are higher, it would make sense to do what you... It's sort of like uh, getting the match at work on a 401k. Get the minimum spend amount in order to snag that sign-up bonus. But if the credit card transaction fees are more than the rewards that you're going to be earning... Well, then pay off the additional balance, the remainder with cash, like you said, that you do have on hand, which is also the best part here is that you're not necessarily going out there racking up a bunch of expenses on things, on you know, crap that you don't need. This is a legitimate expense. This is something that you're going to do anyways. So you may as well take advantage of this opportunity to to get that new card, to snag that sign up bonus, but also just to have this additional line of credit, you know, moving forward into the future. No doubt. So Chase, best of luck, man. Keep up the good work. And I wish all a successful lifelong marriage that is rich in, in every sense of the word. So I love it. All right. We got more questions to get to, including Matt, that question from a frugal librarian. We'll get to that and more right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. 
So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back from the break taking listener questions. Joel, you just referred to the frugal librarian, which almost sounds a little bit redundant, right? Like, are there librarians out there who are just like big spenders? <laughs> Not that I've met. No, they're typically, they do like... Uh, you. It's a certain type. Librarians are stereotyped for a reason. Yeah, they probably listen to NPR. But they're all nice. They're very kind. Uh, I swear when we signed up for library cards recently, it's because we moved, right, to a new county mm-hmm. and we had to get new library cards. Did, you, did y'all get one for each kid? Yeah, uh, as well. yeah which we, is great. Yeah, they were incredibly accommodating. They and all got one. My kids were so excited 
to have their own library card uh-huh. for the first time. But it's just true. They're always They're becoming their own people. Quiet and kind. <laughs> so let's get to another question first, Matt. This one is about buying a house from their neighbor. Hi, guys. My name is Josephine. I'm from Miami, Florida. I wanted to say thank you so much. Your t- show has taught me so much. And I am thinking now about buying my neighbor's home for sale by owner. I love this neighborhood and will be getting an appraisal, but plan on foregoing a realtor. Are there any red flags I should be concerned with? Thank you. All right, Josephine. Uh, first of all, I love that you are buying in a neighborhood that you love. I think it sounds like, I mean, what I picture is that you've been renting in a particular neighborhood. You saw a sign go up and it's in old Mr. So-and-so's house or you know, it's, it's maybe a neighbor who you've gotten to know. You've really gotten to know the street uh, and you are about to become a permanent fixture within this neighborhood. That is the best. Uh, so, yeah, this is a really exciting time for you. And the great thing about buying a FISBO or for sale by owner is that you can avoid one of the biggest expenses involved in buying a home, realtor fees. But here's the thing. Agents are massively helpful within the, the, the home buying process, right? So it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a catch-22. <laughs> uh, it's not that, they, that they're just good at like touring homes with you. Like One of the toughest parts of the entire process can be hammering out a fair price. Negotiating is what we're talking about here. And if you do that poorly, that can potentially result in hurt feelings uh, as you move forward yeah, with the, your... The agents are typically like working with each other. There's their yeah, third party. They right? provide that buffer. And so if you're negotiating with your neighbor and you're like, I love you, man, but I want to pay $30,000 less for the house than what you say it's worth. They might be like, I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> Whereas if the agents are doing it, you kind of preserve those feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Crockett, he is like never going to speak to you again. And the rest of his family who also lives in the neighborhood, they will always look the other way when they pass your house. <laughs> or they might egg it too if, they, if they're really upset. And again, not to say that this can't be done. It definitely can. But just know that without a third party, there's there's more potential for there being some emotional difficulty, for there being some hurdles that you have to get over in order for this to be a successful deal. Yeah. So I think it's important to mention, Matt, right, that negotiating directly with someone you know, it can get tricky. But like you said, I think the savings are worth it if you know that in advance. Mm-hmm. So uh, for, for going agent fees, which are typically around six-ish percent of the purchase price is a big deal, right? Because that, yeah. that uh, uh, amounts to a substantial sum of money at the end of the day. And you might be saying, but the seller typically pays those fees, which is true. So if you're moving forward without an agent, it's reasonable, we would say, to ask for an additional discount uh, on the, the purchase price of the home, somewhere in the ballpark of 3%. Or you know maybe you've already addressed that with the seller and the discount is already baked into the cake. That's great. But you know just know that if you and the seller are both foregoing having an agent represent you, you should both be able to realize the benefit, which is more money in your pocket. That's so you should right. both, it should be a win-win scenario where where the seller pays less in fees, where you get more of a discount on the price that you're paying for the home because of that at the same time, and everybody ends up happy. Exactly, yeah. So one fee actually that you won't be able to say uh, no thanks to is the appraisal fee, because assuming you're getting a mortgage, an appraisal will be required by your lender in order for them to calculate what they're going to be willing to lend you. Because let's say that you and your your neighbor agreed, uh, let's say to a price of 400000 Well, that doesn't really matter. If the appraiser comes back and they tell the bank that the house is only worth $300,000, uh, in that case, the bank is going to make you come to the table with a lot more cash if uh, you're still wanting to buy it. Uh, but then aside from lender requirements, 
uh, you would actually want to get an appraisal because they can help you to arrive at a, a fair price in the first place. Just keep in mind, though, that appraisals, I mean, they're helpful, but they're far from perfect. And so you're going to want to gather some additional information based on just some of the recent comps in your neighborhood in order to determine if it's a fair, fair price. Uh, just searching for similar similar uh, recently sold homes on Zillow can help you to get an accurate uh, assessment of what a fair price might be based on the square footage of this house, plus other things too, you know, like the number of beds and baths, how nice it is, uh, like, you know, the the, number, the the types of finishes within that home. And so it's good for you to do some additional research on your end as well. Yeah, you should, within a couple hours time, be able to have a decent idea of what that home is worth based on what other things have sold for it in the past month or so. And by, by the way, keep in mind, it is a, a quickly changing market. You don't want to look at similarly sold houses from six months ago that's, because that's true. that was a different environment, right? That was a very hot seller's market and things have shifted. The winds, yeah, the tides have turned. That's right. So you want to be, be careful when you're determining that value. But like Matt said, there are a bunch of different, uh, there's a bunch of different readily available data that you can use to come up with a good offer and, and to hopefully arrive at a purchase price that makes sense for both of you. And you'll also want to create a written offer so that everything is on paper for your neighbor to see, right? Including contingencies that you might be requesting. One of those should be that you'll still want to make sure you get an inspection. That $400 cost, roughly in that range, it can notify you of potential issues with the home. It can actually help you negotiate the price further. That is the best negotiating tool you have in your pocket is an inspection that shows that the house has issues and then asking the seller either to fix those issues or to compensate you for the repairs that are needed. Because mm -hmm. like, let's say it turns out the roof needs to be replaced. Well, not only is it good to know that ahead of time, it gives you the opportunity to ask the, the your neighbor to replace it or to reduce the price of the home by a substantial amount to compensate for how much money that's going to cost you. So I don't know, even though you might be able to save some money by avoiding realtor fees, there are still a lot of other expenses that you can expect to pay and you should be willing to pay for, for instance, upfront insurance premiums and property taxes. There are two big ones that get tacked on that can be a shock to home buyers. You're going to want to think about all those things ahead of time. That's right. Yeah, you're saving a bunch of money if you take the FISBO route without rep representation you know, by a realtor. But there are still some of those additional costs that a lot of times folks don't think about. It's like a frugal or cheap thing. I think it's frugal to buy your neighbor's house FISBO. But I think it is cheap to buy your neighbor's house FISBO. Like, without an inspection. Without an inspection and <laughs> not doing your due diligence, right? That's right, yeah. And in your case, Josephine, you know, especially since you might be a first-time home buyer, expect to split the cost of a closing attorney as well. Their fees aren't typically a percentage uh, like you would find with realtors, uh, just a flat rate typically. But having their expertise on hand is going to ensure that this deal is, is properly executed. Personally, like I would not be interested in moving forward if the seller is wanting to DIY all aspects of this deal. You want to make sure all your I's are dotted, all your T's are crossed, and yeah. make sure that this is a deal that is being executed properly. Like, hey, I'm going to have my 11-year-old drop the documents. It's like, <laughs> bad idea. Like, no matter how much of a whiz kid she is. Exactly, yeah. Um, another thought, too. Actually, you might be able to hire... I'm thinking of, like, this whole flat flat fee, flat rate thing. If you could potentially find an agent to help you to, like, put together that initial offer... That could also help things go really smoothly, and especially if you're able to do that, not necessarily for a percentage of the price of the home, but for a flat rate. They're not signing up for nearly as much work since you already know the house. You've already been in contact with this neighbor, with a seller. And so asking around, seeing if there are a few agents out there 
who may be willing to help draw up some documents, you know, maybe for, let's say, a few hundred bucks, that could be a really smart use of money. It'll, it'll save you, obviously, time and hassle, but plus, they'll be able to provide some experience when it comes to a counteroffer and negotiating and some of that assistance that realtors are be able to provide. Uh, and so, yeah, just keep this in mind, because we do think that buying a house that is uh, a FISBO, that it can be a win-win situation, especially in a case like this, where it sounds like you're familiar with the neighborhood. Maybe you already know what it should be selling for. Maybe you know that you're getting a deal because they're willing to sell to you, somebody who's already been there in the neighborhood. But we just want you to make sure that you are covering all of your bases as you move forward. For sure. Definitely. This is a big undertaking, but Josephine is up to the task, it sounds like. And so I hope you get your new house for a decent deal and I hope you enjoy it as well. For a good deal, especially down there in a hot market like Miami, mm -hmm. uh, for the, abil the ability to find a pocket listing like that. Hopefully we'll hear from her at the end of the year and she's got a massive success story. Yeah. Uh, nothing but good things to say. Hope so. All right, let's get to our next question, Matt. This one comes from our super frugal librarian listener. Hi, my name is Kristen, and I'm a 35-year-old librarian calling from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I find my work fulfilling, but unfortunately, working as a school librarian and now public librarian has meant that my pay has remained pretty stagnant for the last 10 years. I feel like financially, I do everything right to avoid debt, but I can't seem to get ahead. I paid off my student loans and have a mortgage on a condo, which I expect to pay off in the next 10 years. But with the cost of childcare taking up about a third of my take-home pay, I feel like I'm still counting pennies. The thought of having a second child or upgrading to a house feels daunting. I put enough money in my 401k to get a company match, and I don't splurge on a lot, but I do love to travel. I pay off my credit card every month, and I do have six months of expenses saved. My credit score is over 800, but I don't know if or when I'll ever feel financially comfortable enough to feel like I can live without worrying about money. My husband makes a little bit more than I do, but also financially supports his family, so I can't rely on his income. Without changing careers, what are some steps I can take to shift into money gear number seven, preferably before I reach retirement age. Thanks in advance for your help. All right, Matt, we already talked about how much we love the library, how much we like we librarians. Do. And Kristen, we like you too. So I love the Libby app. Also, I want to say, I hope we didn't like overgeneralize and, and paint all librarians as like super nerdy, I'm sure there's a wide array of librarians out there. there I bet there's librarians there's out there librarians. who are in punk rock bands. <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, if you work at a library, you really love reading books, yeah. which tends to lend itself to a more quiet existence. That's yeah. all. If you don't like reading books and you work at a library, I don't know, maybe you should find a new line of work. But uh, maybe so. And the reality is that, that librarians don't get paid enough. I mean, it's it's not a job where you're looking to get rich, right? It's not a lucrative mm. career. Correct. Typically. Uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're glad that you find it fulfilling, though, Kristen. That makes all the difference. And, and making less, we would say, in order to do something that you love is a worthwhile trade-off for lots of people much of the time. It's part of the reason I went into radio initially. I was like, I know it's a dying medium and it's not like it's going to pay a whole lot of money, but it's something I'm passionate about, something I'm excited to wake up and get to do every day. And so it was worth the trade-off to me of, uh, in, in all likelihood, a smaller salary. But uh, to be honest, at the same time, it, it sounds like you've actually put yourself in a great financial position 
there are very few folks who pay off their credit cards every month. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's a large segment of the How to Money audience. But not on average across the country, folks. That, that is not something folks are doing. That's right. And nor are is are folks paying off their student loans, like she mentioned. Nor as do well. folks have six months of savings on hand, typically. Yeah. Yeah. All right? the things that she mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's doing great. So you might not be in the top 10% when it comes to income, but you are when it comes to financial habits. So we would say, don't beat yourself up. And having a young kiddo, it really ramps up costs, right? It's, it's an expensive time of life. And so it, I think when you have little kids in diapers and childcare costs, you're not going to make as much progress with your money as you'd like during that phase of your life. Um, pretty much always. <laughs> I think uh, it's, it's, it's just important to mention that because different phases of our life cost different amounts of money and you're in a particularly expensive one right now. And childcare is only becoming more expensive too. So uh, yeah, like it, it, can, it can feel like it's a time in life where you're spending money like gangbusters. But again, despite the difficulties, you are doing well with your money. I just feel like that has to be said from the outset. It's not that there can't and that you can't make improvements and we'll offer our best advice for that. But we also want you to know that based on your current circumstances, you're crushing it. But that being said, <laughs> while Kristen is like she truly is doing all the right things, I totally understand her desire to be able to make more progress, right? Like to, to get ahead, as she called it. Uh, and to be honest, it is going to be difficult to do this without finding a way to increase her income. Uh, and so whether that's through like something like house hacking, right, where Kristen, like maybe where you're bringing in a roommate or getting a completely you know different job, which would suck because it sounds like you really like your job. You find it fulfilling. You don't want to switch things up. And so instead, maybe this means starting a side hustle, right, uh, where you're able to bring in additional money that way. But regardless, it's important to think outside of the box in order to bring more money in every month, especially if you're wanting to, to keep your current job, like like your side hustle. That could be potentially teaching other kids to read, you know, teaching on the side. Maybe it's writing book reviews for different publications. Uh, you could be an, like a librarian influencer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, or it could be something... Those have to exist because there's influencers uh, yes. in basically every realm now. I guarantee that they're out there. Or I was going to say, like, it could be completely unrelated to the work that she's doing at the library. Um, you know, like she could just flip stuff on Facebook in the evenings because that's going to provide her with some more flexibility after the kids go down. Again, with kids and a job, this is all easier said than done, but it sounds like there's just no real room for you to cut back. So you've got to focus on different ways to increase what it is that you're bringing in. Some folks call it digging. Like a lot of times when you're you know, within your financial journey, folks are talking about like you've got a shovel. And so your income is the size of your shovel. And if you are in debt, you're in a hole. And so you're trying to find a way to dig yourself out of that hole. Kristen, she doesn't have any debt, but she's still trying to, I don't know, build a big old pile of dirt. And so she's got a small shovel and just trying to find some of these different ways to increase the size of that shovel is what we're recommending for her to, to consider. Yeah, I agree. And and I don't know, maybe you've got the potential to start seeing some more income in your life, which would lead to more margin, but you just maybe haven't seen it quite yet. I'm specifically thinking about the student loan that you paid off. That was a liability, Kristen. That was a debt obligation mm-hmm. that you no longer have. And so hopefully you're able to be incredibly intentional with where that stream of money is now going. Ultimately, we would say that there's a lot to be said about working a job you like. It's not all about the bottom line, right? Because how you spend your time is how you spend your life and you spend a lot of your time at work. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure you like your life and liking your work is is helpful in that regard, right? But there are trade-offs to everything. And uh, especially if it means you're not making as much money as you could, it sure sounds like you're making all the right moves 
even with a limited income, uh, you're on the track to financial freedom. You just want to get there more quickly. And the only real meaningful way to do that, I mean, you can cut more around the edges, but it sounds like you're already you're already being thoughtful about that stuff, is to, like Matt said, increase the size of that shovel. It's, it's, the, import, it's the most important thing to pay attention to based on where you are currently. But again, don't beat yourself up. You're doing great. There are a whole lot of people with much higher incomes than yours who are in much worse financial positions. So it is all relative. And I think it's important to step back can see that, Matt, because yeah. uh, it's easy to, to, to say, I'm not where I want to be. And you can almost let that emotionally impact you, let it fester, and it can actually inhibit, start to inhibit your progress. But if you can see, wait a second, like look at the, the things well, I've been able to accomplish already. a really good job. Yeah, the, the progress I've made. And to document that stuff and to point back to it, you can be like, all right, I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. It might feel more slow than, than you want it to be. The progress might be kind of like eking along. But at the same time, you're making progress, and, and that yeah. is worth uh, celebrating. What's crazy, too, is that we could have gotten these same details, these same metrics from another listener, but depending on the context of sort of their background and where they were, it could be like a complete win, right? Like it could be somebody who is saying that, like, this is where my life was, but now guess what? I've got six months of an emergency fund set aside. I've got, I'm getting the match at work in my 401k. And so, Kristen, maybe this can be just a word of encouragement because we've sort of gone through your financial laundry a little bit and truly you are doing such a great job and so just keep that in mind realize just the significant amount of work the good work that you've done yeah. uh, as you move forward as you do continue to work towards money geared number seven and as you're hopefully able to accomplish some of those additional goals in life sometimes we're not moving quiet at the speed that we want to but that doesn't negate any of the progress that we've made up to this point yeah and to be able to save up that much money and to pay off that debt and to be investing as much as you're investing it's amazing on a librarian salary like amazing <laughs> you should really be slapping yourself on the back and you should be pumped about how far you've come because that's a worthwhile progress, right? Uh, all along the while, you have uh, a small child, and those are uh, children are not cheap. So I just, I'm seriously big kudos to you and what you're doing, and hopefully you can find a way to increase your income a little bit so you can make more progress more quickly. But we love what you've been able to accomplish uh, this far. So all right, Matt, we got a couple more questions to get to, and including one about vegan banks and eco-friendly debit cards. Like where where would you go about getting one of those? Well, we'll talk about that and more right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations 
get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break. We will get to that vegan bank question here in a second, but we've got a question here from a listener who is engaged. Unlike Chase, who was about to be possibly maybe sort of kind of engaged, hopefully in the future. This is from somebody who's legit engaged and he's got several questions that relate to the combining of finances, what to do with their money moving forward. Let's hear it. Hi, Joel and Matt. This is Mike from Manchester, Connecticut. I've been listening to you guys for several years. So thank you for taking the time to listen and for your help over the years. A couple months ago, we got engaged. Uh, we do split money responsibilities, but I track and listen to podcasts 
I created a spreadsheet tracking the inflow and outflow based on our take-home pay. We'd both make about $60,000 per year due to a recent new job and raises. We both contribute our max or HSA accounts and contribute 6% to Roth at 5% before tax, which is at least the company matched amount. He currently has 25,000 student loans, but with the recent forgiveness, he might be getting 10,000 to 20,000 uh, chopped off of that. We do have a bunch of investment accounts that I made us create. Um, I have a personal one, which I deposit 350 per month in, which is at about 11,000 right now, and he's 25 per month. I also had us create separate vacation, emergency, and pet emergency accounts, all with $50 per month. Uh, we do have five pets, but they're all young and healthy, and we don't have pet insurance for, the, for them. Our online savings accounts, they aren't exactly where we at want them right now, but we do deposit monthly into those. He currently has a car that he's leasing, but I convinced him to buy, so we're looking into that. Um, I've paid off my car, did that within two years. Uh, we have a 30-year mortgage on our house, which is 1200 per month minimum. And then next November is our wedding, where we're hoping to spend no more than 10000 max $15. Um, we are hoping to, to save $500 a month each for each of us, but haven't decided what account to do that in. Uh, but we did get a new credit card so that we could get a 200 bonus for that, and there's no APR until next November. So my questions are, I want to look into I-bonds and treasury bonds, but I'm not sure how much I should be doing with those uh, based on everything. Um, which account we should be putting our wedding money into? I know you guys said don't invest if it's within a year. And then should we just consolidate all of our investment accounts so that they all build off of each other? And then the last question is, I'm not sure when to start term life insurance, so I was hoping you could direct me in that. Um, thank you so much for any help. All right, bye. And I feel like there's love in the air on this episode today, Matt. Uh, lots of young How to Money listeners getting mm -hmm. engaged. So that's awesome. Mike. A lot of new households being formed. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Congrats to you, to you guys for, uh, on your engagements. And I feel like just like our, our last question asker, Mike and his fiance are being incredibly intentional. The attention to detail is is really killer. And by the mm -hmm. way, you can ask a question if you don't have your financial stuff together too. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad to hear from listeners who are like crushing it, but they want to take the next step. Take it to the next level. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, did, didn't Mike, did he say he has five pets? That's, uh -huh. that, I feel like that's an expensive <laughs> endeavor. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that he said he's not getting pet insurance. He's self-insuring and putting that money in savings, which is the right move to make for most folks. When you look at the numbers, when you run the numbers on pet insurance, it's uh, typically most people uh, come out ahead by paying for pet costs out of pocket. That's right. So let's get to one of Mike's questions. He was talking about where to put wedding money. And Mike, you're right. We want the money that you're saving up for that wedding to be going into savings, not invested. Actually, I think you said if there's money that you want to access in, in less than a year, typically, I mean, even more than that, I would say if like I would be unwilling to touch money invested uh, for at least 18 months, if not two years or more, there's just extra unnecessary risk if you're, you know, if you were to invest uh, in any meaningful way. And so online banks like CIT and, and Ally, we we talk about these banks all the time, but th what's great is they have been seriously stepping up their rates recently. We're talking well over the 2% mark uh, within their high yield savings accounts. And the reality is that you're going to have to start making some deposits with wedding vendors in the near future. It's not like all that money uh, isn't going to be spent until November <laughs> of, of next year. Uh, you slowly start you know, moving towards that. And so it's helpful to have that 
cash on hand uh, to have access to that money. Yeah, it's going to be going out almost as quickly as it's coming in as you're booking the venue, booking the photographer, booking the, the food, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, have that line item, have that dollar amount set aside. You're budgeting for that wedding. That's great. You're saving the right amount of money, you know, set aside every single month. Just be okay with that money, not necessarily working for you. It's just sitting there. You know, you're going to deploy those funds. Uh, and so, yeah, don't worry about investing that money at all. Yeah. Sometimes in an attempt to optimize things completely, you might lock away money and you're like, dang it. No, now I need it. And or, oh, crap, I tried to optimize by making some money in the market really quickly. When you need that money in short order, like you could be taking out less money than you put in. That's right. That's not the position you want to be in. And the good thing is you've got other large piles of money working for you in all of those other investment accounts. Yep. And we know every single account that he has because he told us about them. <laughs> he listed them out. And so <laughs> you asked about consolidating these accounts too. And and we would say that you don't need to worry about that either. It's it's not like we're talking about old workplace retirement accounts. If we were talking about an old 401k with a crummy insurance company, you're like, how do I optimize this? We would say- With crazy, terrible fees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We would say, roll it over into your yes. own IRA and let a company like Capitalize help you do that for free. But yeah, you've got HSAs and Roth 401ks and brokerage accounts, which is great. It's nice to have, you got a lot of flexibility by having all those accounts, right? But those can't really be combined and nor would you, nor would you want them to be. So taking an all of the above approach gives you lots of flexibility over when and how to tap those funds when the time comes. So keep them separate, let them keep working for you. You're not able to get superior returns somehow by combining multiple accounts into one, especially when they're created for separate purposes for separate reasons. That's right. Yeah. These are separate accounts that you don't even have the ability to combine. But even if you could, right? If you're talking about multiple brokerage accounts, say you're going to combine yours and your fiance's, it's not like the combining of those funds into one like mega brokerage account is going to earn you more in returns. $10,000 in a single brokerage account earning 8% is going to earn the exact same thing as $1,000 in 10 separate brokerage accounts also earning 8%. So there's no magic there. Um, and so the only other reason I think you might would want to consider combining accounts that are redundant is if you're afraid of like forgetting those accounts, which I also don't see happening because you are <laughs> incredibly detailed. Like you are a money nerd. Uh, and so I don't see that happening either. And so is, is Mike a librarian too, is the question. <laughs> or is it organizational studies or, or something? <laughs> Maybe. Wouldn't that like the technical librarian term. Uh, but Mike, he also talked about I-bonds. Mike, obviously the, the rates on those are pretty great right now, but I am not sure they fit within your, your current plans because we don't want you to sacrifice money that you're socking into those investment accounts, right? In favor of I-bonds because there's the potential for a subpar return. Um, and then the cash that you have on hand, that seems like it's going to be for more immediate needs than like more medium term ones. And so while we do sing the praises of I-bonds pretty regularly, unless you've got a decent chunk of cash that you aren't ready to invest, but that you also don't need for at least a year, we think just avoiding I-bonds um, for the time being should be the way to go. It's It'd be one thing, and you also have a house. It'd be one thing if you knew that you're going to buy a house, say, in two to four years or something like that. That would be a perfect place for you to, to stash away some of those funds, but you've already got one of those. And so it comes down to just the time frame that you are going to be not needing to touch those funds. If you have another savings goal in mind, then absolutely, maybe I-bonds might make a lot of sense. But we did not hear of any of those sort of intermediary goals that you might have. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the last thing that Mike mentioned, and that is life insurance. He, he asked about term life and whether or not they need to have policies. And I guess, like, do you need to have it? Not necessarily, but we would say you're also getting to the point where it is starting to make sense. 
the, the whole reason to have term life coverage is for income replacement. So if you were to, let's say, pass away prematurely, could your soon-to-be husband get by without you? It sounds like maybe because of how frugal you guys are, um, that you probably could, right? And what about if the opposite were the case, Mike? I mean, I'm sure you could as well if your husband passed away uh, prematurely. Sadly, I'm sure you could get by without having any life insurance money. But the reality is that life insurance is incredibly cheap. <laughs> the young, healthy folks can get a policy for like Netflix subscription dollar amounts. <laughs> like uh, it's it's not going Especially to break if the you're bank. Going for the ultra HD uh, version of right. <laughs> yes. Netflix, literally. Yeah. Life insurance might be more affordable. You than can get a half Netflix. a million or a million dollar policy pretty easily for really meager amounts of cash. And so, yeah, we would say taking out a small policy is smart to provide that peace of mind, plus that real financial backstop if the worst thing possible actually does happen. And so, yeah, it makes sense to me, considering what y'all have been able to build thus far, protecting it with insurance, especially as you guys are getting married, makes a whole lot of sense. And we actually have an article about term life insurance, how to decipher how much you need and where to go shopping for it up, up on our site at howtomoney.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. But it's one of those things where every adult who has their income relied on by others really, really needs to strongly consider getting a term life policy. Term life insurance is one of those underappreciated products in the personal finance space, sadly. And you know, for how inexpensive it is, uh, if you have anybody that relies on your income, then we would say you should really <laughs> look into yeah. term life insurance immediately. That's right. Yeah, so much of this does honestly come down to how comfortable you would be living off of your own income as opposed to your combined incomes. Um, but I would say if y'all can have in the future a dependent, if you adopt, then that completely changes the game because the surviving partner would need to consider what would life look like uh, in the form of either childcare costs or income that needs to be replaced. Either way, there's income that needs mm -hmm. to be replaced when you are talking about kids. Things change once they're in the picture, so definitely keep that in mind uh, as you move forward as well. Yeah, the conversation about life insurance ramps up in a big way when kids come into the picture. Exactly. So I mean, if, that's, honestly, if Kate, that's in the plans, yeah. then I feel like that Mike needs to consider that even more sure. even more closely. Yeah, we personally, we never even considered life insurance until we had until we were pregnant, because uh, Kate and I, we were both fairly comfortable with saying, you know what, we're going to we're taking a little bit more risk not having life insurance, but that was a risk that we were able to take in order to funnel those dollars towards other goals mm -hmm. that we had at that point in time. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to one last question, Matt. This one is that banking question and how to, yeah, how to bank in an eco-friendly way. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Caroline and I'm calling from Northern California. I'm calling um, because I've been receiving a lot of advertisements for these new vegan, eco-friendly, environmentally friendly uh, cards. They're mostly debit cards, I believe, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on these. These companies claim to be um, investing our money into more environmentally conscious projects and not supporting oil drilling or pipeline projects. I know there's some that also claim to plant a tree according to a certain transaction. I'm curious what your thoughts are on these cards since our money is being invested in projects that we may not have a say. So in order for us to be more uh, conscious of where our money is going, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on these. And if there is a site where we can kind of check out each bank's where they invest our money towards, that would be great to know as well. So if you could just review some of uh, our options um, and educate us on these different new uh, cards that are coming in as we um, are 
looking towards more environmentally conscious choices. Thank you. Caroline, thank you so much for your question. We are all about funneling our dollars towards the things that move the needle for us personally. But I got to say, vegan banks are, are comp- something that uh, like it was not on my radar at all. It was I had, been, I had not been getting those advertisements. <laughs> I, I don't know. Why, I mean, but not something that. Yeah, that I wasn't I'd, scrolling I'd through Instagram, seeing, seeing vegan bank advertisements uh, um, for some reason. Maybe also guessing Caroline lives in California, which is a more progressive state than Georgia by a long shot. So it doesn't true. also doesn't surprise me that there might be more of those uh, being advertised to folks out there. Uh, you know, like we've definitely heard of companies in the investing and banking space that are attempting to be more eco-conscious. But these specific banks, uh, we, we haven't heard about. But that being said, we would say that your heart is totally in the right place. But in all likelihood, we don't think that you should be letting your money follow these specific financial institutions. Mm, yeah. And that might sound harsh, Caroline, to hear Matt say that. Well, that uh, I deliver the truth with boldness. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the reality is that many of the attempts at creating eco-friendly companies in this space has fallen flat. And that's because the fees are typically higher and the rewards are more more paltry yes. in comparison to what other companies in the market offer. So yeah, we would say, for example, ESG funds, which we have talked about on the show. And it's not that we are against socially responsible investing, or, and it's not that we don't want the planet and humanity to thrive, but uh, the returns over time haven't been as good in those funds as they have been in traditional index funds. And on the banking space, a lot of the, the neobanks in the eco space have similar downsides, right? They're interest rates, they're subpar, and so are their perks. For example, there is an online bank, Matt, as I was looking this up, it's called Purpose, and it offers right. high interest checking at just over 0.1%. Is what, like, That was what they were touting. Point one, okay, so it wasn't 0.1 as in 10%. You're saying literally 0.1%. Yes, like a tenth okay. of a percent. <laughs> and so uh, when Ouch. you look at that, it's it's like they're, they're basically saying, put your money here with us because we're doing good. But what they're not doing good on is paying their customers uh, a real interest rate, right? Well, it's one thing if you are paying uh, a premium on the rate that you're getting if you knew that that money was going towards something good. But that's honestly, that's that's my biggest problem is that it is unclear what is actually being done, you know, for some of these uh, higher causes. Or, yeah, you know. you know, you're right. So, so there's two things that are problems, right? One is that we'd say there are better options out there where your money is working harder for you. So your money at the banks that we talk about most frequently is going to earn a whole lot more than it would at a bank like this. But the other problem is that is what we would say is called greenwashing, mm, which seems to be yeah. happening a lot in our culture exactly. right now. Yep. And it's where companies want to tout their environmental bona fides, let's say, you know, even even if the results of their efforts are minimal. We see this all over the place with giant corporations, even down to new startups, right, where they're they're saying one thing about how much they care about the environment or what they're doing. And it's often it's just really tough to figure out. It's tough to decipher which companies are doing actual good uh, and which ones are worth aligning with. And then which companies are just really good at marketing to you based on your interests, based on what they know about you. So you got to be really careful and you have to look into to the details and you have to decide, does it make sense for me because I care about the mission of this company or this bank so much that I'm willing to take it on the chin with a lower interest rate uh, in order to live my values out most fully. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like this certainly is a gray area. And Caroline, what you choose to do with your money is going to largely depend on your personal convictions. Uh, because of how we roll and how we know how we talk about money here on the show, we're going to continue to recommend banks that offer the best perks, highest interest rates, the best customer service out there. Uh, 
but if you've got different priorities, you know, when it comes to where it is that you bank, I think that's totally cool. Just make sure that you are doing your due diligence and know that there could be some significant trade-offs with a move like this, not only in the rate that you're going to be receiving, but the actual good that they're able to provide the environment or the world. And I think the even you know more important question is where are your giving dollars going? Because I think that that is the best way for you to direct your dollars in a way that's going to easily have the, the biggest impact. Uh, and what's great about this approach is that there is a lot of transparency uh, and you can easily research nonprofits at a site like charitynavigator.org. Um, what these newer companies are doing, they're just, they're, the lines are getting blurred essentially, right? And like it makes me think of like whole life or universal life where they're combining these two different products. Yeah. You've got, wait, is it insurance or is it an investment? Well, let's take them both. We'll combine them. We'll make it so opaque that people can't understand it's what they're getting so into. It's so easy for you. And like, that's the other thing. I feel like some of these banks, they're, they're almost take like putting you as the consumer. It feels like you're off the hook a little bit. And so it's just like, oh, maybe you don't have to quite worry about the environment as much because you bank with, what, like, what was the name of the bank you mentioned? Uh, Purpose, uh, I believe. Purpose. Uh, it's like, they're going to take care of all the things for you. Uh, and I really don't like the fact that responsibility is being shifted from the consumer instead to these institutions, to companies. I, I feel the same way when it comes to uh, some of these great companies that are doing like the buy a pair, give a pair, right? We've talked about this previously on the show, uh, this marketing tactic that makes you feel good. And sure, maybe it is providing some good, but I, I think we should be more involved with the good that our money is doing and not by not just relying on these sort of default ways of, you know, whether it be through our consumption or whether it be through our banking that we're able to provide good. I like to see folks out there intentionally doing good with their money. And let's there is uh, a bank out there intentionally doing deceitful things like, I don't know, signing customers up for accounts <laughs> that they never signed up for in the first place, or I don't know, do, uh, just right. predatory predatory things, right? That are just anti-consumer that are bad for humans. Very clearly identifiable things yeah. that we can read about and point to that the SEC is cracking down on. <laughs> and that maybe the federal government has, uh, has fined <laughs> this bank yes. hundreds of millions of dollars for doing, then we would say, well, stay away from from banks like that. Stay yep. away from companies that are purposefully leading people astray, that are not treating their customers with the respect they deserve. Yep. But and, and again, so much of this is going to come down to personal preference. I, our preference, like you said, Matt, is customer service. Is rates the rate that's being paid? Is the history of the bank? Is the technology like how user interface? Is yeah. Nice. How is easy it is? Is it to use? And we have a few that we traditionally recommend because they kind of meet a high bar on every single one of those categories. So that's what we recommend. But if you have have a different set of standards that you prefer when you're looking at a bank. There's still some bare minimums I would have. Like, is is this uh, online vegan friendly bank? Is it FDIC insured? Like, if it's not, I, there's no way. It doesn't matter what they say. Yeah, exactly. There's no way I'd stick my money there. But yeah, so I would attempt to avoid banks that are uh, behaving badly, and I would attempt to reward banks that are behaving well, treating customers uh, w- with respect. And like Matt said, I would try to give my dollars away in uh, to causes that align with my values. That's that's kind of how we think about it here. But yeah, Caroline, we hope that that helps you make an informed decision about which bank you do business with. Heck yeah. All right, let's get back to our beer. This episode, Joel, you and I enjoy Pistol Pete's 1888, brewed in the state of New Mexico. And they made state bigger because this is a beer that's specifically for New Mexico State University, uh, which, by the way, I looked it up. They This is basically like a local brewery 
for New Mexico State. Which also makes sense why it's called Pistol Pete's because they're not talking about the basketball player. They're I talk- know. I thought they were talking about <laughs> Pistol Pete Maravich. <laughs> <laughs> no. The, so Pistol Pete is the, the mascot or whatever for New Mexico State University. So basically... Well, I guess it kind of makes sense that this is, uh, what is this? It's like a 4% something beer. This is like the college drinking. This this is like the local beer that pretty much everyone on campus, I'm guessing, is drinking. Yeah. Um, but well, it, it says on the can that this is a Blondale. To me, this was the lightest Blondale I've had. Oh, yeah. And so it was just a, a perfect game day beer, it's, honestly. There you go. Yeah. Probably exactly what you want to living basically in Mexico. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't realize how close to the border. And so like Boss Brewing, they've got a location further north in Albuquerque, but where New Mexico State is uh, as well as this additional location they're really close to Mexico and so I'm guessing it's pretty hot there and so you probably want a lower ABV beer yeah uh, in order to like I always like to say stay hydrated <laughs> they're probably not brewing 12% stouts right <laughs> at Boss Brewing which um, makes sense I'm guessing not but yeah now this was an enjoyable beer I'm glad this is one that you and I were able to crush on today's episode Joel <laughs> No doubt. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We will put links to all the sites we mentioned, everything pertinent in our show notes up on our site at howtomoney.com. But Matt, until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. My name is Matt. Of Small Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.